live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. That's some good things go down. Actually, John Rom finished like the beast and the icon that he is. Kepka inexplicably let it get away and then owned it after the fact. So Rom goes legend by winning his second major, returning to world number one, and did something that no other European player has ever done. Win the U.S. Open and the Masters, even he wasn't aware that that had never been done before, which makes him all the more iconic and legendary even before, which is what he was before. But he acknowledged that it almost didn't happen. Keep in mind, no European's ever done that before, and he's done it by age 28. I mean, legend, legend, icon. But Rom himself acknowledged it almost didn't happen and actually blamed it on Zach Ertz. I saw a text from a good friend of mine, and I'm going to name him because he is a Super Bowl winning champion, Zach Ertz. Um, he, he said the text, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paraphrase here, but he said that first green looking like a walk in the park or something like that right now. Ten minutes before I four-putted the start of the tournament. <laughs> so, thank you, Zach. <laughs> Don't ever do that again, please. Love John Rom. This dude's great. I love him. The patrons loved him. That one killed with the patrons. Or the patrons, I should say. The dude was just trying to wish you luck, man. You didn't have to put this guy on blast like that. Yeah, I think I'm just going to name names. Not not this this guy shall remain anonymous, but he's won a Super Bowl. No, I'm just going to put it out there. I'm going to name names. Zach Ertz. E-R-T-Z. Zachary. Zach Ertz. And if not for Zach, I probably would have won this thing by six strokes. So don't ever do that again, Zach. You got that Z. You got it. Hey, listen. Yes, there were 71 holes left, but the fact is, the last time somebody won the Masters with a double bogey to start that tourney was seven decades ago. Never mind not being able to win the Masters on the first day. You can't. You sure as hell can lose it. But never mind being able to lose it on the first day. Imagine losing it on the first hole, and history would suggest he damn well could have lost it on that first hole. Don't ever do that again. Please. And it would have been Zach Ertz's fault. But, my man, what about Travis Kelsey? Did he blow you up too? Mostly, though, after that first green, and aside from maybe the back nine during the third round, everything was smooth sailing for Rom. And yesterday, he erased a four-hole deficit to win by four in the process, saving us from the aforementioned cheese-tastic 18th hole live party. However, it was not all bad for the livers. In fact, it was pretty damn good for the livers. They had themselves a tourney. They ended up with three of the top six finishers. And somehow, one of those top six finishers was the man who looks a lot more like a dyer than a liver. A man you clones were calling Phil Sickleson last week. Sickleson. What? I didn't make that up. Let's keep it real. Because that's not very funny. 
and beneath me. But you clones were very happy with yourselves for glossing him Phil Sickleson. Tell you what. I'll tell you what. The the guy was incredible. Somehow, someway, quote, Sickleson finished tied with Kepka for second overall in the tourney. On Friday, I was worried for this guy's physical well-being. I was. And I was still stunned at the state of the dude. I mean, the entire state of the dude. The state of his reputation, the state of his legacy, the state of his fan base, the state of his face, or what was left of it. Mostly the state of his face. But still, man, it was wild to see Phil at Augusta being awkward as hell and refusing to speak to anybody and looking like he saw a ghost and then turning into that ghost all without his adoring crowds following him around and watching his every move. But then that all changed. It all changed yesterday when this dude somehow, someway, miraculously pulled seven under for the day out of thin air. I mean, he still looked like a dude who saw a ghost and then turned into that ghost, but he also looked like a damn good player again. A player who just went out and put up the best round ever at Augusta for somebody over 50 and just became the oldest top five finisher ever at the Masters. Apparently that whole not eating food thing is working wonders for Phil. I mean, who knew it was that simple? There's intermittent fasting and then there's constant fasting, forever fasting, nothing but fasting. Apparently, Phil found the fountain of youth, and it's just called not eating. It seems sort of risky, and he looks like Skeletor and kind of freakish. But I guess if that's the result you get, I'm going to look into it. I mean, it's incredible how that guy finished. And the weekend went about as well for Phil as it went horribly for the cat. I think we know most cats hate rain, and that was one miserable cat out there in the rain on Saturday. I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone as miserable as Tiger was out there trying to finish the third round in those elements. Clearly, his glutes were not firing, and neither was anything else. He did tell us last week that the pain, well, the pain was constant. It was constant. The pain was constant. constant. And clearly so was the misery. Honestly, it was pretty painful watching that dude limp around. Honestly, it was actually a relief to see him withdraw. I mean, credit to the cat for making it out there. Credit to him for making his record-tying 23rd straight cut. But it's hard to imagine the guy killing himself, continuing to kill himself, just to show up for the majors with the goal of merely making the cut and finishing. And don't tell me he's there to win it. Don't tell me second place sucks. Don't tell me that he wouldn't be out there if he didn't think that he had a shot. Because the guy's not competitive. He no longer is. Understandably, he nearly lost his leg a couple of years ago. I mean, the fact that he's even out there is pretty miraculous. But don't tell me he's out there because he has a chance to win it when we know that's not the case. He knows that's not the case. So why is he out there? It's painful to watch. I hate to see it. The dude seems way too proud for that. 
And yes, even he has to know he's never going to contend for anything that matters ever again on the PGA Tour. If he wants to wait for the Champions Tour and maybe get better physically, I could see that. Possibly. But the truth is, as pumped as everybody was to see him hit the course again, nobody wants to see that dude go out like that. It's painful. And I'm not sure why he'd even want to. For who? For what? Robert Lucetich, who's going to join me in hour number three, I thought said it best. He said even 63-year-old Freddie Couples lapped the cat this week. And he did. 63-year-old Freddie Couples lapped the cat. And by the way, Fred is still cool as hell. Fred is still cool as hell at 63. Fred will always be cool as hell. Fred will be cool as hell even when he's in the ground. Fred is never not cool. I love Freddy. I've always loved Freddy. Everybody loves Freddy. And he did lap the cat. But for all the drama and chaos yesterday, I still can't get over something that happened on Friday, a.k.a. the thing that ended the day at Augusta on Friday. You know, that time those two enormous pine trees fell into the master's gallery. Man, that had to be one of the more surreal things I have ever seen. Not only there, but it, at any golf tournament. I don't even see bleep like that in Wisconsin. And I've seen a lot of trees fall and take out houses in Wisconsin. That's just not got the legs for Sergio. And the pink today. Oh, good oh. gracious. Watch out. Oh, my Oh, my God. Word. I hope everybody is okay. Holy smokes. Did you hear the sound of that tree hitting the ground? Utterly miraculous that nobody was seriously injured by two skyscraper-sized trees going down right in an area where there were patrons watching the 17th hole. Today? Oh, good oh. gracious. Watch out. Oh, my Oh, my God. Oh. Everybody is okay. Holy smokes. Uh-oh. Holy smokes is a funny thing to say. That always cracks me up. Holy smokes. And of course, you know who was on the 17th green when that happened. Holy smokes, Sergio. Apparently, the Masters grounds, maybe even the Masters gods themselves, are as sick of Sergio as everybody else is. Apparently, the trees want him around about as much as the rest of us, which is not at all. Apparently, those trees heard this nonsense last week and decided to punch back on Surge. You guys, you guys, you guys need to stop it. I mean, you guys are making a big deal out of these, and it's you guys. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. I mean, I've had nothing but great things from every single player that I've talked to. So just please stop it and just talk about the Masters. I just did, Sergio, for the entire Open. Hey, why don't you just worry about yourself? Why don't you just worry about trying to make the cut? Why don't you just try to avoid getting smashed up by gigantic falling pine trees that were coming for you? How those trees decided that was the time, I don't know. I think they just saw you. And just don't like the way you look. And try to take you out. My man, you got enough to worry about right now. You don't worry about me. Don't worry about the media. It's not your job to be the most annoying person ever. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Stop it. No, it's not. Please stop it. No, it's it not. No, you stop. You stop it. You stop it, Sergio. Just talk about the masters. Why do you think those trees were coming for you? Just talk about the masters. You. 
Holy smokes. Holy smokes, that's a wild weekend. Wild, yes, wild weekend. Yes, it is. Can you imagine how great a weekend that could have been for the Live Tour? Man, they had a winner. They were going to rip a major. They already did have a great weekend with three top finishers in the top six, but they could have had the guy. They almost did it. 1-800-636-8686. John Rahm, legend. This guy's only 28. Back at number one in the world, as I mentioned, the first ever European player to win the U.S. Open and Masters. I mean, unbelievable. Iconic. Iona. Came all the way back and ran down Brooks Kepka. What are your thoughts? I, I'm feeling pretty good about that. I'm feeling pretty good about that. Yeah, I know. A, a great pick, Rome. Hey, listen, Atheist plus 1,000 is a great pick. All right, don't tell me it's not. Black Cloud. Don't drop your wet blanket on me. Don't ever do that again, please. Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper or what's your beef? Scott Satterfield is my guest. Scott, great to have you on. Scott, how are you? I'm doing great. How you doing, Jim? Good, good. Thank you for uh, playing through that and bearing with me. So when you and I spoke in December, it was two days after you were hired. Obviously, you had hit the ground running. From your standpoint, is it playing out the way you had hoped in terms of recruiting and assembling your staff? It, it is. It's uh, it's been great. Um, we've assembled a great staff. Um, you know, not not just the coaches, but also the, all the support staff as well. Recruiting department. We've we've added four or five different positions in that. I'm a full time nutritionist for football. Um, you know, all, all the things we need to compete at the Big Twelve, and that's been outstanding. And then now, um, being around our players and 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 going through this spring practice, that's been that's been great as well. I mean, you know, you get hired in December, <laughs> you don't even see your team for about a month and a half before you know before you get back in here in February. So it's been great to get to know our guys and. Um, you know, what a fun bunch to coach. Scott Satterfield joining us. That's interesting, right? Like you get hired in December and you don't even get to see your guys for several weeks. So now that you're getting to know your guys, you're trying to implement your culture, you're back on the grass. What do you think about this group? And what do you think about what you've seen from them so far the last couple of weeks? You know, I, you know, there's a reason why Cincinnati football has been good, you know, over a long period of time. It, it's in their DNA, the culture, um, the guys, uh, they fight. They, they have a chip on their shoulder. You know, every day they're going out and they're wanting to compete. Um, man, from the first meeting that we had to the first time we went out there on the field, you know, everybody's so attentive. Um, you know, everybody's trying to prove something. There's a sense of urgency out there, which is great to see. Uh, you know, you go through spring practice, you know, we're still learning a lot of our guys, what they can do, can't do. Um, we do have a good nucleus of guys that have played a lot of good football, um, you know, particularly 
on the defensive line. You think about Briggs, Corleone, um, who's a preseason All-American candidate. Um, you know, and, and then, you know, we've gotten a couple of transfers in here that I think going to help us. Um, you know, Dorian Jones came over from Louisville. Luke Kandrick came over from Louisville as well. Uh, you know, so I think uh, – and then we're competing at a quarterback position. I mean, there's there's three or four quarterbacks that I think have a chance to, to lead the team, and so we'll see how we finish up with spring with, in that regard. I appreciate that, Scott. Scott Satterfield joining us. What about that? For those who don't know, the quarterbacks we're talking about are Ben Bryant. He's back for his final year of eligibility. He threw for over 2,700 yards, 21 TDs last year. Evan Prater is also starting – well, he started the last two games when Bryant went down, but he is back. And then you've got Emory Jones, who came over from Arizona State last year. So you have options time will play or tell obviously the quarterback competition is a thing how does it look to you so far you know it's been really good it's been it's fun to see uh you know ben bryant had an injury so he missed the first uh probably week and a half two weeks of, of spring ball he's been in there in the last three or four days um practices i mean he's got a cannon he can really spin it um uh, doesn't move as as fast as maybe you'd like, but but he certainly makes up for that with his arm talent. Um, Emory Jones, a guy that can run and throw, can do a bit of both. He started at Florida for a few years. He's Arizona State, as you mentioned, so he's he's competing at that role. And and then you know you talked about Evan Prater, who's who's a guy who's from right here in Cincinnati, who who has a, a great athlete. It can run around, can do a lot of things. Um, so it's been fun to watch. We're going to continue this competition uh, all the way through Saturday and, and and get a feel from where we're at with that. Um, you know, but uh, but I tell you what, those guys are competing and they're and they're pulling for each other. So it's a it's a good QB room right now. Okay, that's really good. I was going to say about the QB room is Coach Scott. How do you approach that? For instance, when you have a situation like that and you've got three guys that are giving it everything they've got, how critical from your standpoint is communication throughout the entire process with everybody in that quarterback room? You know, it, it's critical. You, we and I and I've always been upfront and honest with our guys um, in the quarterback room, but particularly when you're when you're trying to battle it out, like like we are right now, you know, with guys that have um, you know a lot of ability. Um, when you think about the two players that played a ton, you know, Ben Bryant started most of all the games last year, and Emory started a lot. Those guys bring a lot of poise, a lot of experience. Nothing really rattles them. Uh, you know, so we want to be upfront and honest and kind of tell them where we are with everything. We chart every throw, um, whether it be uh, not just if it's completed or incompleted. I mean, we're charting where you threw the ball. Is it on the front shoulders, on the back shoulder, you know, above that? So we have a numbering system for for how we chart the throws. So we're very, very detailed in our approach and in, in, in rating these quarterbacks because we want them to know and to be able to see it. Uh, who's doing the best? Who needs to do better? Um, you know, so they have a, a great idea of where they stand. Scott Satterfield joining us. We're talking Bearcat football. So, Scott, you mentioned the entrance into the Big 12. As of July 1st, you will officially become a member of that conference. And then you'll have your season opener, conference opener, September 23rd, hosting Oklahoma. What are your thoughts about joining the Big 12 and what that means for the program and the school overall? Well, I think it's obviously huge. I think Cincinnati, you know, obviously been playing at a high level for many, many years, just played in the playoffs a couple of years ago. Um, 13 players drafted in the last two two years, um, probably going to get three or four more drafted this year. So, you know, which is number one in the Big 12 and with the number of players drafted. So, you know, where we sit is, is pretty nice. You know, we certainly got to continue to recruit at a high level and, and bring the kind of talent that they've been bringing in in that regard. Um, so we're certainly got to do that. But it's exciting to be playing a power five football 
You know, we got a great on-campus stadium here at Nippert Stadium. That's one of the best atmospheres in college football. We are hosting Oklahoma in that stadium, the first Big 12 game. So I'm sure that's going to be standing room only. Uh, we, you know, there's just a lot of excitement going on, on around our town, our alumni, former players. We've got a huge golf outing on Friday with the with the all football players. So, um, you know, that's kind of been the talk of the town. Hey, we're, we're getting to play in the, the big-time ball now in the Big 12. So a lot of high expectations, I'm sure, as we head into that. Uh, you know, but we're just taking, a, you know, obviously one day at a time and trying to put the best product we can on the field and get the best players we can just to continue to play Cincinnati Bearcat football, which is, you know, get after it type football, blue collar. So so we're looking forward to it. Scott Satterfield joining us. Speaking of which, I mean, you mentioned it. They were in the college football playoff only two years ago. You win nine games last year. And now you've got some key returnees coming back, including D. Lyman, Dante Corleone, a Walter Camp preseason All-American first team selection. He is an absolute load, a load. How disruptive a force is he? And then what's he do for the entire defense. Yeah, he, he's he's a one of the better D linemen we I've faced. You know, I was in ACC the last four years. Um, you know, including um, you know some guys that are playing on the NFL. But he's he's got he's that kind of guy. He's got that kind of talent. Um, extremely wide, extremely strong. He he can get in the backfield any particular play he wants. Um, you know, blowing up the the A gaps there. You know, playing that nose position. Um, but he's also a really good leader for us, and he's a young player. But he but he's a good leader. He brings it every every time he's on the football field. Um, he's a joy to be around. I mean, he's he's extremely humble. Um, he's what you want as a football player. He's from right here in Cincinnati, um, high school football, Coleraine. So. Um, a local product. So, man, I'm just I'm fired up about Corleone and, and and ready to watch him play this fall. You know, he missed the bowl game last year, had a knee injury. So uh, so he's anxious to get out there and, and compete at this this high level in the Big 12. So, Scott, like a lot of high level coaches, you mentioned culture a moment ago. Let me ask you this, because one of the first points that you hammered home when you got that team was, quote, earn everything, nothing given. Had they fully embraced that mindset? And is that now the accepted standard? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think they they've had that here for a while. It's um, it's just kind of in in their cultures, in their DNA. Um, they want to go out and prove that they belong as individuals and in, in, in their position group, um, but also as a football team. And I, I think when you have a, a collective group with that mindset, you know, no matter if if you're the most talented or not, if you have that mindset, you're going to give yourself a chance to compete and a chance to go out there and win. You know, and that and that's what our guys will be able to do. I mean, obviously, you better have some talent. You got to have some guys that can make plays. Uh, but if you have that chip on your shoulder, I'm going to go out here and prove to you that I belong and I, I should be here. I'm one of the best players out here. Um, you know, whether you are or not, you're going to make that happen. And uh, they have that here. That's not something that we have to coach on a daily basis. You know, we're going out and coaching scheme. We, you know, we don't have to coach the, the attitude and the effort. These guys have that. I like that. If you got a, a locker room full of guys like that or a lot of guys like that, you're not coming off the field without a win very often. Hey, Scott, before you go, I thought there was a great profile on you in The Athletic recently, and it focused on a number of things, but including your upbringing in Hillsboro, North Carolina. What were those summers like when you were a teenager pouring concrete in the hot sun for your father's paving company? And then how much of who you are as a person and a coach might be a direct result of grinding it out in those summers alone. You know, it was, it was a grind to say the, the least, um, you know, in Durham, North Carolina, there Raleigh Durham area is very hot in the summertime. You get, you know, you're, you're shoveling asphalt. It's burning the soles of your feet, um, your shoes off, uh, you know, so, but I learned a lot about hard work. I learned, I learned a lot about, um, I don't care how tough it is. You gotta, you gotta grind, you gotta get it done. 
Um, you know, and, and that taught me a lot in football is a, is a direct correlation for me. You know, I looking back, I probably wasn't the most talented football player, but I knew I was going to give it everything I have. And we've done that as a coach. I've been able to do the same thing. Um, you know, and, and my dad was hard on me. You know, if you grow up in the paving business, um, you, he's going to be hard on you. And so I learned to have thick skin so guys could get after me when I was when I was you know playing um, as, as well as when I was coaching. You know, you learn a lot about, you know, how to, how to go out and coach if you if you're not very sensitive and, you, you know, you just bring it every day. So that's how I coach. That's how, that's how I want our teams to play. And, um, you know, it's been very successful and I'm, I'm sure it's going to be successful in the future. Hey, Scott, tell you the, it's kind of interesting though. Like for instance, you are those things and you're extraordinarily competitive, extraordinarily bright, but I just, from where I'm sitting, you're not that hard line, hard line, you know, mirror the highway, old school kind of guy. So yeah, you learn mental toughness and emotional toughness and a willingness to grind, but you're also not that guy to get up in somebody's face and and go really old school with it, right? Is there not a dichotomy there? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, well, I want it to come from within. So, you know, I, I think if you suppress and you say, you know, this is how we got to do it, you know, I think guys will shut down that way. So I, I want them to be able to bring it within. And eventually it's going to come out. Or if it doesn't, then, you know, we're going to find somebody that it's going to come out in. So um, I, I think this is the approach that I've been a part of, um, you know, my, for a long time. You know, I played for Jerry Moore and he was that way. He, he allowed the, the players to produce and play. Um, and within their own skin, and and that's the way I am. But I, I want it. I want it to come within. If you have that inner drive and inner fight, um, and you take ownership of you and your as a person, as also ownership of your team, I think that's when you're going to get the best out of players and the best out of your teams. I like that. And if in fact they're not up for that standard, you will find somebody else who is. Scott Satterfield is the Cincinnati head football coach. Was named on December fifth. Again, they've got their spring game coming up on Saturday. Getting ready for that big move to the Big Twelve. Scott, great to have you on. Really appreciate that. And I appreciate the energy. Good talking to you once again. Yeah. I appreciate it, John. Always great to be on. Thank you. You too. Great having you on. Scott Satterfield joining us. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. There have not really been all that many exciting days if you're a T-Wolves fan over the past two decades or very many chances at all for me or anybody else who matters to hype them up. We're talking about a franchise that has won a total of three playoff games over the past 18 seasons. That's bleak. Bleak as hell, to put it lightly. However, this morning, Minnesota is one win away from clinching a second playoff berth in a row. So they've obviously turned the corner. They locked down that eight seed with a big home win yesterday. A big home win. Right. It's a good thing. Except that's not what anybody's talking about today because people tend to get distracted when you have dudes throwing them hands around the final day of the season. On the final day of the season. And that's exactly what they were doing. Throwing them hands. And not at the opposition, but at each other. And throwing them hands at concrete walls. Throwing them hands all over the place. Somehow, there were two separate 
flying fist incidents in Minneapolis yesterday. And it all started incredibly with Rudy Gobert throwing a punch at teammate Kyle Anderson during a timeout huddle in the second quarter. And them then getting sent home by the team at halftime for doing so. Not something you see every day. They sent Rudy Gobert home in a game they had to have at halftime. Definitely not something you typically see on the last day of the regular season of teams that are trying to make the postseason. Thankfully, Woj had some details, and Woj has the latest, which I'll get to, but he initially had details to help us make some sense of how the hell could that happen? I mean, was that some heat-of-the-moment stuff, guys trying to compete and get in, or something else? No lie. These deets from Woj on Twitter made me laugh out loud. Laugh out loud? I did laugh out loud. It stopped me in my track. It made me laugh. At Woj ESPN. Quote, ESPN sources. Minnesota's Rudy Gobert escalated a verbal argument to a physical encounter after Kyle Anderson told him to, quote, shut the F up, bitch. End of quote. The disagreement started with Anderson telling Gobert to block some shots, Gobert telling him to grab a rebound, and ended with a punch and Gobert getting sent home. You know, that's certainly escalated quickly. It started off incredibly, incredibly PG, and then escalated all the way to throwing a punch at your teammate in the huddle during a timeout and being sent home in a game you have to have. Listen, I get it. Nobody likes to be told to shut the bleep up, bitch. But check the list, Rudy. That's still not a reason to go. And that's definitely not a reason to go with a teammate during a huddle during the last game of the regular season with the playoffs hanging in the balance. I don't even know what makes the list of reasons to go in that particular situation, but shut the bleep up, B, does not make the cut, Rudy. Sorry about that. Good news for the Wolves is at least everybody seems willing to move on. Seemingly. Which is great since, you know, they've got the most important game of their season against the Lakers tomorrow night. So Gobert knowing, Gobert knowing that he could be looking at a suspension, quickly reached for the phone to thumb out an apology text to his teammates and then tweeted one out while Kyle Anderson had this to say about the whole thing after the game. It ain't the first time someone has swung on me. It is what it is. We keep it in-house. Yeah. Is that, do you think you've always been a vocal leader? Is that just kind of go, part, you know, go with the territory a little bit challenging? I mean, uh, I, mean I think our tempers just flared. Yeah. Uh, that's all. Uh, you know, it, it is what it is. We'll, we'll speak about it and move on. We grown men. It is what it is. Let's move on. I don't want it is what it is. I want, yes, being part of a leader is telling a guy to shut the bleep up, bitch, if that's what he's being, and telling him it over and over and over again. That's how you lead. But that's not what he said. I wish that's what he said, but that's not what he said. That might not be the first time somebody has swung on you, Kyle. And I'm sure you are that guy that challenges your teammates. I respect that. But I do have to imagine it's the first time a teammate has swung on you during a game. You don't see that very often. And I love Kyle going all Rafa 
on the tennis reporter when asked if that's what comes with the territory of being a vocal leader. Does getting the hands from a teammate in the middle of the most important game of the season, in plain view of everybody, come with the territory of being a vocal leader? Quote, I mean, eh, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, I mean, uh, uh, he was channeling his inner Rafa. I mean, uh, or Rafa was channeling his inner Kyle. I I mean, mean, uh, uh, yeah, that's not supposed to happen. And, And the craziest thing is, that's not even the craziest part of the story. Maybe the craziest part of the story is that the punch wasn't even the most damaging punch thrown by a Minnesota player yesterday. And let me just say, Rudy's punch was not damaging at all, except at what it did to him, not the intended target, right? But going back to a more, it did no damage. It's a seven-footer swinging on a guy and connecting with his chest. Kyle didn't look like he was in very much pain. Uh. But I'll tell you who uh. was. After the bench skirmish, Jaden McDaniels swung on a wall on his way to the halftime locker room and busted his hand. It's fractured. He's done. And that's one of those things I will never, ever understand. Ever, ever. Especially for an elite, high-level athlete. Man, I understand some of these guys run hot. I understand heat of the moment. I understand them competing at the highest level for things that some of us will never, ever in a million years ever understand. Here's what I don't understand. A pro athlete who makes their living with their hands risking that living and their money maker by throwing those same hands at concrete walls. I've never understood that. I will never understand that. Nothing you can say to me will ever get me to understand that. I should get Lewis back here because he's coached every kind of athlete in every kind of sport. He's seen it all. Lewis could explain it to me because I don't understand it. Hey, I'm not a clone. I know, Lewis. Fed up with sports, but I want to. I definitely do not understand doing that. I've never understood that. And especially over what? A couple of guys getting into it on the bench? Two dudes. One dude swings on an absolute bleep show for the T-Wolves, who somehow still overcame it to win a must-win game. But an absolute bleep show nonetheless. Really, I don't know what's dumber. Throwing hands at your teammate in the huddle or throwing hands at the wall on the way back to the halftime locker room. What I do know is this. It's a potential disaster for the T-Wolves. It's now entirely possible that they're going to be without their two best defensive players for the playing game. In fact, we just found out from Woj, they are going to be without their two best defensive players. Woj just tweeted, quote, The Timberwolves had to suspend Gobert for throwing a punch, but accepted that it was a shot to the chest with no intent to injure Kyle Anderson and understood that Anderson called Gobert a bitch repeatedly on a night that Gobert was playing hurt, source to tell ESPN. Man, Woj is great. Woj, Woj must have been there to have that thing that well sourced. Woj knows every angle, every side, every part of it. Like every word that was ever said. 
And and how about Anderson? Like Gobert, Gobert's mad because he's playing hurt, and Anderson's just like bitch, bitch, bitch. Go block a shot. And Gobert's like, hey man, you get a rebound. Do you know I'm out here hurt? He's like, shut the bleep up, B. And then at that point, he threw the ill-fated punch that did no damage other than they suspended him. Incredible. That Anderson's just calling this guy out. Yo, man, why don't you go block a shot already? Block a shot, seven-footer. Block a shot, defensive player of the year. Stop being a B. Hey, man, get off my back. Why don't you go get a rebound? Why don't you shut the F up, B? Incredible. Nice chemistry. Way to motivate each other and push each other. But even then, I still think that's not as bad as Jaden McDaniels, who, again, is a really nice player and really important. Punching a wall and breaking his hand and taking himself out of action. And then maybe it's me. Maybe I'm misreading this. And if this were the case, I think Woj would have had it because Woj has everything. But maybe the wall told Jaden McDaniels to, quote, shut the F up, B. Amari Stoudemire taking out his emotions on the fire extinguisher back in the day thinks that y'all need to check yourselves. The best part about all of this, though, is NBA players keeping receipts. Did you see Draymond's tweet in response to Gobert? Draymond tweeted, quote, insecurity is always loud, end of quote, which is incredible. I mean, look, Draymond has opinions to share. We know this until you realize why he shared that opinion. Gobert had tweeted the same exact thing right after Draymond punched Jordan Poole. Back in October 2022, Gobert tweeted verbatim, quote, insecurity is always loud, end of quote. Grudge much, Draymond? Look, we know, we know what kind of fuel Draymond's running on. To make it at this level, it's all about motivation and fuel. And that's the type of fuel that keeps Dre going. No complaints here. That's incredible that he turned that around on him. Like he had that in his back pocket that whole time. Careful what you tweet, Rudy. Because that tweet ended up biting him in the ass about six months later. And suspended. The only thing that would make this better is if they came into L.A. and they beat the Lakers. Can you imagine what LeFib would have to say about that? They're seven and a half point dogs. And when I saw it earlier this morning, it was six and a half, I think. So that line's moving because Gobert got suspended. And Woj said they had to. First of all, if Woj said so, then it's true. But did they have to? I mean, Alabama had a guy that brought a gun to an eventual murder, and they didn't do anything. So did the T-Wolves have to? I mean, I could see where... A lot of times an NBA franchise would be like, hey, guys will be guys. Heat of the moment. It kind of tells me how upset the rest of them were with Gobert. And then seeing the reaction when he did swing, notice that guys weren't jumping in to break it up. They all wanted a piece of Gobert. CC and Minnie writes, as a Wolves fan, no, as a Wolves diehard fan, 
that was four years old the last time we won a playoff series. This is the most T-Wolves thing ever. We need Jaden to win a playoff game, let alone a series. We are screwed. Yes. Yes. Dude, I really like Jaden as a player. But that was a dumb, dumb thing to do. One of the dumbest things I've ever seen, honestly. Because as I mentioned, as I go to break, I have never understood people who make their living with their hands punching inanimate things. It is so stupid. And it shows a lack of control, honestly. But then again, and as good a guy as Gus Fraud is, and Gus is a good dude, at least he didn't headbutt a wall. Still unbelievable. Unbelievable. Jungle Tourette's is strong. Robert Lucetich, when we come back. Ronnie Dobbs writes, why don't you go make me a sandwich? Go bear to Anderson. Why don't you make me a sandwich? (laughs) That's how ridiculous that conversation was. Except he finally said, shut the F up, B. And at that point, Rudy went, still not a reason to go, Rudy. Why don't you block a shot? Why don't you get a rebound? Why don't you make me a sandwich? Why don't you make me a sandwich? (laughs) Incredible. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. We're joined right now by a renowned golf journal, author of Unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season, somebody I always enjoy talking to. He is Robert Lucetich. Robert, my man, good to have you on. How are you? Um, I'm great, uh, Jimmy. Now that uh, Southern California seems to be out of its winter that never ended, uh, things are looking good, and uh, we just had a great Masters, and... Uh, and, and uh, Obviously, uh, the, the, to me, uh, yesterday reminded me of why the Masters really is, you know, the, 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 the top of the mountain. Uh, it's just the storylines, the, the, the action, the ups and downs, the, the spills and thrills. It really is something special. Extremely well said on every single point, Robert. So why don't we talk about John Rahm first? He runs down Brooks Kepka with some help from Brooks himself, of course. He rips the Masters and the world number one ranking in the process. Given how John struggled on the back nine of the third round, Robert, did you see him running down Kepka the way he did? I mean, I, the thing about Rahm, you got to remember, I mean, he's a bull, right? He's a Spanish bull. He's not the. He he, he just does not have a lot of quit in him and when the kid you know a lot of it obviously had to do with a lot getting help from Kepka I mean Brooksy went 22 holes without making a birdie uh, on on Masters Sunday and obviously they played 30 but that that's not going to get it done 73 75 is not going to get it done and Ram had 73 in the third round as did you know pretty much everybody I mean they were all shooting high it was woeful conditions and uh, that wasn't the killer, but but he came back with the 69, and that ultimately is, is you know, he, he beat Brooks by six in the afternoon and wins by four. Brooks had a four-shot lead, so there's a lot going on there to, to, to unpack. But, yeah, did I think that Ram was ever out of it? No. 
No, I never think that guy's out of it because he doesn't have a lot of quit in him. And he, and he has that sort of stubbornness that you need as a golfer. And the other thing I like about Rahm is that you never hear him complain. You never hear him say, oh, the, it's miserable out there. It's raining. It's, uh, you know, the, my, my four iron's going 180 yards. I mean, he doesn't, he's not that guy. He's just like, what do we got to do to get it done? And then he goes and gets it done. So I, I have a lot of admiration for him. And he's, you know, he, when he first came out, I thought he was, you know, let's just say a trifle on the cocky side. But as, as you know, the years have gone by, uh, it's, he's confident, but I don't think he's disrespectful. And I, I, uh, I think he's the kind of, he's got the kind of mentality that, that is what you need in a major. You need a guy that's just going to sit there and, and really just not give up. And, and also part of it is, again, Maybe the guy that's playing next to you is, is, is not going to birdie in. And I think he's smart enough to know that, you know, just, just keep plugging ahead and see, see where it all goes. And, uh, you know, certainly the, the second half of Tiger's career when he was winning majors, he stopped winning them by 7, 8, 15. You know, he started realizing he only needed to win by one or two. Still, he still win the trophy. So. Ram is that guy and, and, and thoroughly deserved uh, victory yesterday. I agree with you, Robert. He is that guy, and he is a bull, man. He is an absolute bull, and he just keeps charging, and he's relentless. And I think the guy's a class act. I actually love the guy. Robert Lucette is joining us. Because you mentioned Tiger, let me get your thoughts on Tiger. You know him as well as any. He was unable to finish after aggravating that foot injury. Generally, Robert, how did he look to you generally, and what do you think his plan is going forward? Well, look, Jim, I, I, I have been concerned for, for a while about Tiger. I, I'm not so much, it's not so much the golf. I just, when I look at him, he's very puffy, he's very bloated, and it, it reminds me a lot of what he was like pre the DUI. And I wonder, you know, I know he's in a lot of pain, obviously, from his, from his injuries, and I just wonder the toll that that takes. I mean, David Ferretti once, uh, said something to me that really rang true is he said you can't play good golf with doors slamming in your head and it's it's mm. I, I feel that tiger has some of that going on i don't know that it's i mean obviously physically he's he's limited the walking just walking is is, is difficult for the guy uh but i don't you know i i just think he needs to play when you know the weather is good obviously the flatter the track the better but there were other things that, you know, sort of I looked at and his putting one, you know, wasn't great. He, he, he just didn't really, he just didn't really to me seem like it was the, you know, certainly he was not the tiger, the, 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 the tiger of old, but he definitely is an old tiger, isn't he? And uh, I just wonder how, how long he's, he's going to want to hang around. And, and I just don't see him being a ceremonial golfer. I should say he's, He's too proud for that. He's not going to be out there shooting, you know, 78s. That's just not who he is. So um, I think that, you know, he will try to play maybe six, seven times a year and see how that goes. But he really needs the weather to cooperate. That was just a, a, a very, just not a good mix for him this week uh, at, at the Masters. And sometimes the Masters is just glorious sunshine and, and heat. And uh, some, sometimes it's like that. So... Uh, it wasn't a good week for him. We'll see how things go. I, I think that you know the the British Open coming up would be to me where 
if we if we're going to see Tiger back in in some meaningful way competitively, I, I mean, I think that he needs a nice flat track, which he'll get there, and some good weather. So hopefully that all comes together. But uh, otherwise, I think there's. You know, it wasn't a good week for Tiger. No. Robert Lucetich is joining us. Now, on the other hand, Robert, Phil Mickelson had a pretty astonishing runner-up finish with that closing round of 65. I mean, Robert, given that this guy is 52 and how he had played previously on the Live Tour, what do you make of his week at Augusta and everything that came with it? I, I'll say one thing about Augusta National, and that is that Fred Couples is a almost 64-year-old walking, living example of this. When you've been there for many, many, many years, it's there's something about that place that a guy that plays well there can play well there into, like I said, Fred Couple's about to be 64 and, and making cuts. But the, the thing about Augusta that really changes, really is different to, to anywhere else they play, is that Phil knows that he can hit it sideways off the tee and he's still got a shot at the green. He can still score. Whereas you go to a U.S. Open, you're in trouble, right? You go to the you you, you go to a, a a British Open, you're you're in the gorse. But there is no real, real you know off the tee trouble there. That 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 guy with his imagination and his you know short game can't put together a decent round. And and he did it. And I mean. In all honesty, I mean, the first day he shot 71, he had a ton of birdies. So he, he, he had three or four foul balls and, and made some bogeys. But he, he looked surprisingly good, I thought, on the first day. And I think also with Phil, he's comfortable there, but he's emerging from what's, what has been by far the, the most difficult you know, couple of years of his career, where his, you know, his reputation, which he spent a lot of time building uh really took a hit and i think that that takes psychological tolls on somebody as as well as uh as as physical tolls on their game so you know he he he's a mercurial kind of a player but let you know i don't want to get too carried away because frankly i mean that's i think that's his maybe third or fourth top 10 in, in three or four years so it's not like he's you know feels suddenly back at this age but if he's ever going to be back this is the place he'll be back at because he can play there and he knows it. He knows he can beat guys there because he just knows every blade of grass there. And there's something to be said about, you know, when Tiger first went there, he used to say, I went and sought out the the Raymond Floyds and the Jacks and the Arnies. And I wanted to pick their brains about how do you play this place? And I think Phil over the years, I mean, he's been, he's been going there for you know 30 years. Uh, is is more than thirty years. Is uh, you know he really fits that place fits him because there's a cavalier, there's an element of being cavalier that's rewarded there, and that's you know he he was asked a question yesterday about what he thinks about the changes to the thirteenth hole, which the thirteenth hole has been extended, and you know on, certainly on one of the days that nobody could really go for it, so that you know you just kind of chip chip a six iron or something down to the bottom short of the creek and, and, and hit a little wedge on. And that's, you know, going to lead to a lot of pars. I mean, he's he likes the risk-reward. And I think the Masters is that tournament, risk-reward, and, and he's the one that wants to go for it. So it, it's a tournament that suits him. It's a venue that suits him. And I think that he was in a better place than he's been 
obviously, for a couple of years. Robert Lucetta is just joining us. That makes sense to me. Listen, before you go, I'm curious, Robert, what do you think? Like, Live Golf CEO Greg Norman had said that the Live contingent would storm the final hole if one of them won the Masters, while 12 of them did make the cut. And overall, they had a really good showing. Could you imagine or could you describe what that scene would have been like if they rushed that final green had they won? Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, the fact that Phil wore a hat at his press conference when for the last four years they've expressly asked players to take their hats off and he wore his live hat. Uh, I think that, uh, you know, look, the, the, the green coats at Augusta have been, I think, quite gracious and they've stayed above the fray in this, this, these golf wars between the tour and uh, the PGA Tour and Live. But, you know, look at the featured groups this week on, on, uh, when, during the Masters. I mean, there, there were, they avoided Live golfers like the plague. They didn't really, you know, they, they, they wanted to play down. And I think that that would have been, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think it would have been a little too much. But as it turned out, uh, you know, Sergio Garcia didn't hang around so i know because john rahm i thought he would have been there as a fellow spaniard the fourth spaniard to to win the masters but uh but jordan spieth was there and and jose Maria lothabel was there so i don't know i mean i i think that sometimes you know greg i've known greg norman for 30 years and he tends to get you know get, he tends to get a little rah-rah about uh whatever it is that he's that he's uh pushing and i think that was that was one of those instances where this idea that they were going to, you know, storm the green and celebration was, uh, I think that was a little much. Hey, Robert, how about Sergio? Couldn't stick around for Rom, but made it very clear that there are no issues and it's just us that's making all this up. That's rich. That's rich. Well, listen, you know, one thing that I've learned about this, uh, this ink-stained uh, life of mine and in journalism is that uh, if you can't find anyone to blame, just 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 to shoot the messenger. And uh, and, and that is essentially, uh, if you don't want to take any responsibility for yourself, just blame the media. And uh, that's, uh, that's you know, blame, blame the media for reporting what you say. Uh, so, yeah, unfortunately, that, that is the go-to. And uh, you've got athletes of all kinds, you know, usually their agents are reminding them, blame the media. But, uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's the world we live in, and, and uh, personal responsibility seems to be a, a thing of the past sometimes. But, yeah, no, it's not our fault. It's not the media's fault. It's filing a lawsuit against your fellow uh, professionals may not go over well. Rory McIlroy getting, a, getting a, a, a knock on the door on Christmas Eve at 4 p.m. or he's getting ready for Christmas dinner with his family and you've got a process server there, that's not going to go over well. But that was not you knocking on that door, Robert. That was not it you was delivering not me that. Knocking on that door, Jimmy. No, <laughs> it's the best. Listen, dude, I, I so appreciate you and our visits. I hate to do this, but one last follow. You mentioned Fred Couples. Yeah, I heard what you said, and I understand that the track sets up for certain guys. Freddie's one of them. But how incredible is it? Never mind that he's still the coolest guy ever, even at 63. How amazing is it that Fred has made the cut in a major in six different decades? I mean, how yeah, stupid is that? Yeah, it's just stupid, and it also just goes to show you that like he's not a, you know, Freddie being as laid back as he is, I think has has really helped him. I mean, maybe he didn't win as many majors as he probably could have with his talent, but he's always going to be good enough to be to you know to 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 be up there. And and 
I don't think that today, if he, you know, went out and teed it up with, with uh, you know, Jordan Spieth or or uh, or even a, a Cam Young, he'd be behind Cam Young. But I don't think he would be intimidated. I think he'd just be like, let's go play golf, you know. And that's the attitude he has, and and it's the attitude you have to have. But he's been so very very good for such a long time, and I mean, it's I, it really is amazing when you look at it. I mean, he's about to be sixty four, and there he is. Uh, you know, I mean, Corey Connors, who won last week on the PGA Tour, <laughs> he beat him by I don't know how many, but a lot. Uh, it's just it's it's really crazy, and uh, I, I always think about that with with Freddie. And and look, and there is definitely an element, as I said earlier, of you know, could he have achieved more? Yeah, probably. But his the way that he approaches you know life in general helped him have this long career. So you know. Uh, it's 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 a little bit of a double-edged sword. He wasn't he he, he certainly. Let me put it to you this way: Freddie's never going to suffer from burnout. Okay, never, never. And I think cool as bleep. I've always loved him. He is a renowned golf journalist. He's the author of Unplayable, an inside account of Tiger's most tumultuous season. One of my favorite guests, Robert Lucetich. Robert, I appreciate you, man. Great to have you on, and thank you so much for a great interview as always. You got it, man. Always good. Lewis in Kansas is where I want to be. Lewis, what's going on? How are you? Hey, good. Hey, I'm not a clone, and I'm an older generation, and I'll tell you up front, I'm a little fed up with sports, but I want to talk about the one sport that I've always played and I love, and that's golf, and go John Rahm, who obviously loves the game, and for Bruce Kepka, when he said in that post-round interview, he wouldn't play, he wasn't playing professionally, but maybe once or twice a year, you get to play the game of golf for a living, and you've set yourself up for life, and the average man is out trying to make a living working his tail off. And according to the PGA, and in relation to the PGA and live, I've coached everything there is, every sport, and I've said it since they began, that uh, the eight to ten tourneys a year, three rounds a tourney, uh, they're going to lose the ability to grind, and especially in golf. Uh, every champion I've ever coached, They've known that they've had to have an edge, and it comes from hard work and grinding. And when did Kepka fail? He faded the fourth round. And Mickelson, why did he find lightning in a bottle? He's an old grinder. Three green jackets. He knows what it's about. And he caught the average guy is never going to beat Phil Mickelson going out and playing on a Saturday. He can beat 99.9999% of everybody who's ever picked up a club. And he caught lightning in a bottle. And I think I'm supposed to say war. That amateur named Bennett, I'll pull for him every time he picks up a club. And to the game of golf, which is in this day and age when every coach and player, nobody (laughs) takes care of their own selves and calls themselves. The game of golf still has integrity. They call their own fouls, their own uh, offenses. And uh, so thank you so much to John Rahm, and I hope he does well. Thank you. I'm out. Lewis, you got it. Thank you very much. So, Lewis, old school with it, said, hey, listen, by the way, I'm not a clone. And secondarily, I'm kind of sick of sports. But props to John Rahm. Good to have you, Rick. How are you? Hey, Jim, I'm great. Thanks for taking my call. I just wanted to comment a little bit on the uh, clone and uh, Lewis saying that he wasn't a clone. Uh, I've been listening to your show in the Detroit area for 20-plus years or however long you've been syndicated here. I think I had you certainly had jungle Tourette's before uh, the, the term ever came out. But I find myself listening to you in a lot of cases because I like to hear a well-reasoned uh, 
opposite opinion of mine, where I think when you identify clone, by definition, it's someone who is an identical replica and someone who, in essence, then agrees with everything you say. I don't, but I respect your opinions and I enjoy, as I said, hearing a a well-thought-out opposite opinion to mine. And I love the show, and I'll leave it at that. My man, thank you so much. That was so well-reasoned. You're right. That was very smart. Very, very smart. We may pick up that topic tomorrow. Rack him. Thanks, Rick. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening all these years and for allowing me to earn your respect. That was a great call. That was smart. And not the way I thought it was going to go either. Good night now!